on May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. Visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. And just like that, we're back. Another week, another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. I'm Josh Pate. We're just talking a ton of college football this morning or afternoon, depending on where you are. It's wall-to-wall. It's jam-packed. And I have got a bunch of good news. I'm just going to unload the good news on you, okay? So I, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't even know if I'm allowed to share this. Better to ask for forgiveness than permission, especially when the news is this good. So as you know, if you've looked at a calendar lately, it's June. And that doesn't matter where you are. It's just June everywhere right now. And uh, our numbers are through the roof, and that's not supposed to be that way. So it's got a lot of data science types around here really fumbling through spreadsheets and whatnot trying to figure it out. But I have figured it out. We figured it out a while back. When we started saying no off-season, and if you type it, you just put the X instead of the O so you can actually spell the rest of the word out. When we started saying that a few months ago, we got great feedback on that. And it became kind of a mantra for the show. It became kind of an attitude. Now, we were never going to slow down our production schedule anyway, but it kind of reinforced that point and hammered it home. And a lot of you picked up on it, and a lot of you started adding it to your vernacular when you email me, when you tweet me, when you DM me, when you tag me on Instagram. Well, here's what else happened. It kind of got ingrained into all of our subconsciouses, plural of whatever subconscious is. It got ingrained. And not only did you pay attention and stay with me through the entire off season. You brought friends and I've got evidence in front of me. We are up 15% month over month. That means we got 15% more people listening to this thing in June than we did May. And here's the real kicker. We got 25 more percent listening than we did in April. So the show is growing leaps and bounds in a time of year where we're supposed to be in some kind of pseudo hibernation. So thank you for that. Continue to spread the good word and we will continue to spend zero dollars and zero cents on marketing this thing. And we'll still get it out to the masses anyway. Here's the other piece of good news. I was looking at some of our demographic breakdowns, and it may come as a shock to you, but we have a growing female audience here. We are not at 50-50 by any stretch, but we have a growing female audience. So ladies, thank you. An extra special thank you for listening to something that, again, the experts say, don't even worry about. You're never going to have a big enough female audience on any kind of college football podcast to market to or mention Well, they were wrong. I know. Shocker, shocker, shocker. They were wrong. So uh, thank you. Come one, come all. That's our motto around here. And let's get to a mailbag. We got a loaded mailbag this morning. We've got a very, very diverse batch of questions here. Some I think were meant to be critical of me, but I'm going to turn them around and I'm going to turn them into entertainment as best I can. So the way to get in touch with the show, joshpate706 at gmail.com. Or follow me and DM me on Twitter, Instagram, at LateKickJosh. Those channels, one more little thank you to slip in here. Those channels have started growing pretty rapidly since I've been asking you to do that. And so just follow me on those. I mean, there's a lot. I know I've said this and you haven't seen it yet, but that's only because the time period is quickly coming when you will see it. I've told you there are going to be things on those platforms, especially Instagram and Twitter, that you will not see on the show and you will not even hear on the podcast. 
So I, I encourage you, if not outright implore you, follow me at Late Kick Josh and get five friends to do it too. Uh, I think you're doing that actually because I'm seeing a whole lot of growth there. So let's dive in with that said to the mailbag this morning. Kevin's going to kick us off. He's speaking for a number of you. As you know, Arizona State's being investigated right now. And it's, it's a very public story, and some of you have taken notice of how public it is. So here's what Kevin and a number of you have said to me. Why is there so much coverage on Late Kick of Arizona State's investigation, but you aren't even touching on the Michigan abuse scandal or anything related to LSU? So Kevin was kind of mad when he asked this. I've already corresponded with him privately, but I'm glad a number of you brought this up because it would have not really registered with me that you were picking up on this. So this is a fair question or fair questions, because there were a bunch of them. Think about being in my position, all right? You are producing a college football show. You are priding yourself on sticking to college football, recruiting and on field. I mean, that's largely what we talk about to about a 90 to 95% clip around here. That's what you ask for. I draw a very, very fine line, and it's not something we ever cross when it comes to what we will and won't cover. And a lot of the more scandalous, off-field type stuff, the only time I'm going to touch it is if it starts to bleed in or it starts to overlap with affecting on-field. Now, that includes what's happening at Michigan right now. For example, the Bo Beckler allegations. I looked at that. I followed the story, just like you guys may have. But I've thought about it, and I've, I've thought about it within the context of our show and I don't think that there's anything substantive that I can add to it on our show because it's not going to impact Michigan today and moving forward on the field. And if it's not, I'm not touching it. That doesn't mean it doesn't need to be addressed. That doesn't mean it's not important. It's very important. The allegation should absolutely be taken seriously. There are other platforms on which people are going to talk about that if you are seeking that. So that's all I say about the Michigan deal. With the LSU situation, and this has been festering for a little while, there are a number of allegations about things that have happened off the field but could very well impact LSU on the field. The reason I have not delved into that as of yet is because that's what they are at this point. They're allegations. And they're allegations that are serious, again, so I don't want to make light of any of this. But then there's a third aspect here. Some of you may already be yelling it as you're listening. Well, Josh, you just said that you're not touching on LSU because those are merely allegations, whereas... Arizona State, that's all we have there. All we have are allegations there, too. Here's the way I'll explain it to you. It is a very unique situation at Arizona State. I don't think we see this very often. In fact, I don't remember ever a time where there was this public, an ongoing NCAA investigation into a program. Think about what an NCAA investigation normally is. It's normally like what we're seeing at Tennessee right now. Even the most diehard of Tennessee fans, those of you who follow that program on a day-to-day -day basis, you have no clue what's going on with the NCAA investigation. It's always cloaked in secrecy. Hardly ever do you see an ongoing investigation where all the details are out in the public. And the reason is because you normally don't have willing participants with firsthand knowledge willing to go to media, not just to assist in the investigation, but to also, in a parallel world, cooperate with media. And so you've seen Pete Thamel over at Yahoo Sports or you've seen uh, Bruce Feldman and the guys over at, over at The Athletic, they've had every bit of information at every turn in this. So we're seeing it simultaneous to NCAA investigators seeing it. And it has to do directly with football, directly with recruiting. And it's not something that has another layer to it. You know, there is not a sex abuse layer. There is not a domestic violence layer to it. 
And so the reason I have personally, and I think a lot of other people have taken the same approach, the reason I have talked a whole lot more about Arizona State thus far than I have LSU is because there's a whole lot more that is known, it feels to me like, and it's out there and directly related to football about the Arizona State investigation as opposed to the LSU investigation. Now, mark my words, if something were to happen, you know, if if let's say, and this is purely hypothetical, let's say Ed Orgeron or a, a head coach anywhere was directly implicated in something like that and they lost their job, they were terminated, I'd be leading every show for three weeks straight with that. And it would happen if it were the case with LSU. So that's in a very much remains-to-be-seen sort of prism, but right now we are seeing it with Arizona State. So it's nothing personal. I don't have some vendetta against Arizona State, but I think that we've chosen to handle it on late kick the way we have because of the unprecedented nature of how public the entire thing is played out. You guys who follow college football, I mean, we all know you never see this happen. You never, ever see this happen. And also, I think Arizona State's a big-time program. I think a little more highly of the stature, maybe, of Arizona State as a program than a lot of the viewers and listeners, judging by your feedback. So the thing I think about with Arizona State is not only will or won't Herm Edwards keep his job, but I think two steps down the road, if that were to happen there and that job were open, well, that impacts the Pac-12 in 2021 on the field, obviously, but it also opens up what I think is one of the most underrated good jobs in college football, and then you never know who may land that job. So there's a lot on the table here that I think directly impacts college football on-field and recruiting right now, and that's what we use this show to talk about. As we roll on here, all right, I got two questions I think I need to gather. Uh, one is from Peter. One is from John. So we have, what, one, one-sixth of the disciples in the inbox this morning. All right, so these two are kind of connected. So I want to ask them both, and I'm going to kind of address them as one. So John said, is Kyle McCord the next Joe Burrow? Kyle McCord, for those unfamiliar, is a quarterback at Ohio State right now. So let's just table that. Also, John says, and it's totally unnecessary that I read this, but I'm going to do it anyway for obvious reasons. Best college football podcast out there. Thank you. All right. Yeah, I just felt that was necessary. Thank you, John. And then also Peter. Now, this is a little bit longer, but it really ties everything together. He said, let's say C.J. Stroud balls out this year. C.J. Stroud is probably going to start for Ohio State at quarterback and is legitimately in another competition at the start of next season with Quinn Ewers coming on board. Quinn Ewers is the number one quarterback in the next cycle who is currently committed to Ohio State. So you got a guy right now who's going to start and in all likelihood be a stud. And then you got the number one quarterback, some people think in several cycles, coming in next year who's going to be expected to start as a true freshman by many people. All right, there was a lot of paraphrasing there and a lot of editorializing, but we continue with Peter's question. Could we see a Kelly Bryant-Trevor Lawrence 2.0 situation in Columbus next year? I'm personally high on Kyle McCord, and Lord only knows where he'd transfer if this becomes the case, but someone would gladly scoop him up. Thanks again for creating such an authentic atmosphere to share our love for this great American sport. Uh, you know, it was also, I think, in the end, necessary for me to read that last part. So this may seem complicated to those of you who are unfamiliar with the roster situation at Ohio State. Here's the deal. They got a stockpile of quarterbacks there currently. So they have Jack Miller, who most do not think is going to be in the starting rotation there. They have Kyle McCord, who would probably start at most places, but doesn't figure to be the starter for Ohio State this year. And they have C.J. Stroud, who probably is going to be their starter. You haven't seen any of them start yet. Unless you're a Buckeye fan, you probably don't know a whole lot about these names. Okay, so that's their current situation. Then 
if you hit the fast forward button boom, to next signing day, in comes Quinn Ewers. So this time next fall, Quinn Ewers will be there. He has a mullet to end all mullets. He is a senior this year in high school. He's the number one quarterback in the country. And so the question essentially is, regardless of who starts for Ohio State this year, are they going to be the starter next year? Or is Quinn Ewers going to be so good that he comes in here and just takes the job regardless? And then that circles back to the question that Peter had there. Could we see one of those Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence situations? Now, if you'll remember, what was it, 2017 maybe? 2018? Let me think. Hold on. It was 2017. I was at this game. So Kelly Bryant is the guy that was starting at Clemson between the Deshaun Watson era and the Trevor Lawrence era. A lot of people, revisionist history, just put those two eras together. No, there was one transition year. It was Kelly Bryant. And so Kelly Bryant takes Clemson, as you usually do these days at Clemson, still wins the ACC. They go to the Sugar Bowl semifinal against Alabama. Bama handles them pretty good. And then Trevor Lawrence comes in the next year. So what we're asking here is could we have a one-year stopgap between the Justin Fields era and the Quinn Ewers era. This is not out of the realm of possibility. What I'll tell you is, if that's the case, and C.J. Stroud is that guy, I think C.J. Stroud is a whole lot better, potentially, a whole lot better quarterback than Kelly Bryant was. So if he ends up going somewhere else, I think it's going to be a situation where he goes probably somewhere a little more high profile than Missouri, all due respect to the Tigers, and could compete for a national championship somewhere. See, you, I, I think it was John, John asked, could Kyle McCord be the next Joe Burrow? And what he meant by that is, well, McCord's not even going to start at Ohio State this year, just like Burrow didn't start at Ohio State when he was there. Is he good enough to go somewhere else and win a title? I th- I'm i not going to go as far as to say next Joe Burrow or he could go win a title. I think he could be a very effective quarterback for a major Power 5 program down the road, yes. But then, even if C.J. Stroud wins the job this year, Are we looking at a situation where there is the hottest quarterback battle in America in Columbus, Ohio, this time next year, and we're asking the same question? Could we see a transfer from a guy who was a starter last year? It seems messy to a non-competitive person. A competitive person just starts drooling over this because it's just, it's fun. It's competition. And it's not really that you lose it because even if if you're C.J. Stroud and you play a really, really good season this year, And then Quinn Ewers comes in and he's better than you next year. Yeah, okay, you lost the job and maybe you do transfer somewhere, but it doesn't make you a loser. You competed at the highest level and you couldn't quite overcome someone who is ultra talented and committed to that process too. That's not being a loser. Being a loser is shying away from the competition to begin with and just tucking your tail and never realizing your true potential because you're totally intimidated by the situation. That's how you lose. So there are no real losers in this whole situation. I do think, though, to answer both of you and many others who are going to be asking about this, the Ohio State quarterback room over the next 24 months going to be really, really fun to watch. Oh, so I forgot to tell you this, too. So Peter asked a second part to the question. He emailed me back. Normally, when you guys email me and you say, here's my question, I'll let you know if it's going to get answered. I'll email you back, say, I'm going to hit this on the podcast this morning or next Thursday. And so I hit Peter back. I said, I got you, man. I'm going to hit this on the podcast. He said, hey, I had a part two. I forgot to give it to you. Well, Peter, luckily for you, my friend, I am recording right now. And Peter asked, it was kind of non-football related, but I wanted to know, 
what was the longest distance that you ever train hopped? And do you have any good stories that you haven't told yet? Well, I cannot answer the first part because that could give away some some strategic milepost and geographical reference points that are still in use today. I hope I haven't been unclear there, but I can tell you this. Back in the day, the first time I ever hopped a train, it was a ballast train. That's the ones you see where they just carry rocks all over the place. The same rocks, ironically, that you end up seeing on the side of railroad tracks. So there's a rock quarry back where I'm from in Fortin. And this is in Georgia. It's just north of Columbus. And they run, they may still do it now, they run a train up there once a night to pick up all the full rock cars from all the dynamiting they've done that day. And they bring the empty cars back up there from the day before. So my friend and I, you know, now that I think about it, this is a pretty juicy story because I almost went to jail. It was it was almost a really, really bad night for us. We've never been on a train before. And I don't advise you to ever do it out there, kids, if you're listening. But let's just pretend this is a fiction novel. So fictitious JP and his buddies are out in the woods and we're waiting. We have scouted this thing out. We know the routine every night. They bring the empties up and then they pull the full cars off a side track. And then the engines have to go from the back of the train to the front of the train. And that's when we're going to make our move. And we're going to climb up on top of those ballast cars. First foolish notion. You can just sit on top of ballast cars and ride it like it's a carnival fair ride. Well, it's not, but we learned that later on. But we do get up on top. And so we're up there. We're good to go. Here come the engines by. So they're headed to the front of the train. We're probably about 15 or 20 cars back. So we got plenty of time to kill. And here we are in Fortson, Georgia, right there in the middle of the dark outside the rock quarry. We're sitting on top of a ballast car. No care in the world. We're laughing and joking. And then all of a sudden, flashlights. And what we did not realize in all of our scouting runs, we did not observe that some dude who switches that track at the back of the train has to make the slow, arduous walk to the front of the train. Now, 99 times out of 100, it's probably boring because they don't hear a ton of 15-year-old voices coming from the top of a rail car. But this night was different. And so the light shines on top of the car. We are busted. We should be busted. But the guy ends up, and I don't know what for, probably because he valued his life a lot more than to find out who was up there. He just kept going. He heard us clearly, and he kept going. We should have gotten off. We did not. We were foolish, and we were really desperate to be able to tell our buddies the next day we finally successfully hopped a train. And so we did. So here we go. We're going to be pulled. It's only about 10 or 15 miles down the track. We're going to go down to Columbus, and we know where we're going to hop off at. Well, so do they, unfortunately. So on the way, here is the downside to riding on top of a rail car. We got slapped in the face in the middle of pitch black dark going through the country, with, I don't know what kind of tree it was. It did some damage though, cut my face all up. And so that was part one. So we're already battered and bruised and terrified, not as much as we should have been, but we're terrified. So here we come, we're rolling to a stop at the place where we're planning on jumping off. Train slows down enough, train comes to a stop. Here we go, we're ready for the dismount. We dismount and there he is, about 10 cars away from us, just standing there like the alien in signs, just standing there. And so we take off running and we had to run down a very, very steep hill, not meant for running at all. Uh, This was for a reference point, if you're in Columbus behind what used to be Fazoli's Italian restaurant is now, I think a Zaxby's caddy corner to uh, Chef Lee's restaurant, peaking to Chef Lee's peaking to. And so it it got ugly. So that night we learned a lot of lessons that we apply now. I never hopped a ballast train again in my life. But that was a story that in retrospect is fun, but at the time was not fun at all. Because then you get home 
and you worry about whether someone has your information or not. Mind you, we're like 16. We're 15, 16, 17 years old. And so we don't know exactly how far surveillance goes in our country. And we don't know exactly how much sway the folks at Norfolk Southern were to have with the NSA. And we have no clue. So we just live a very, very sheltered, terrified life for the next week or so. And eventually the cloud lifted and we live to tell another day. But the question remains, what happens if they catch us that night? Juvie, that's what happens. Goodbye, Hope Scholarship. I'm Juco at best. It would have changed things forever. Instead of Late Kick Live, you're watching Chain Gang Live. Probably still every Sunday and Thursday, but it would have been just a totally different vibe. So I'm glad that we were able to get away that night and now very, very strategic as to how we go about things. Again, that is a fictitious story. Let me state for the record, totally fictitious. Thank you for your time. Wink, wink. All right, we move on this morning. We've got a really good question here about the entire state of affairs in the SEC West. There's been a lot of talk about this, and we talk about the SEC West a lot anyway, but there's been a whole lot of talk about the hierarchy over there behind Alabama. I'm going to touch on this when we come back. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. So there are too many questions here. I think I've got about two or three dozen of them that in some shape, form, or fashion ask about how the SEC West shakes out behind Alabama. And some of you are just adamant that LSU should be listed number two program. Uh, some of you think A&M should be listed number two program. And there is even a surprising amount of Ole Miss. There's no way you list Ole Miss as the second best program in the SEC West right now. Even if they were to finish number two in the West this year, it wouldn't necessarily see them ascend to number two program status. We define program and team differently, at least on this show. A program's a three or four year snapshot of you, and a team is a one year snapshot of you. That's why Florida is not the number one program in the East right now. I also need to talk about Florida a little bit more. There is a, there's growing speculation out there that I don't like Florida. And a lot of circumstantial evidence has been put together, sort of in our own little mini dossier. I had a Gator fan the other day present the evidence, as he called it, to me. And it's false, so I will be found not guilty on this, but it could have to go to trial. My disdain for Florida as an allegation, we could have to put it on trial down the road. It probably would make a pretty half-decent segment. I just have to find the right prosecutor. Uh, to this point, I have not found that prosecutor. But the search continues, as Bobby Boucher once said. So back to the SEC West. The way I see it is this. I think A&M is positioned as the number two program there. But when I talk about it, 
all context always gets thrown out the window. I've tried to do this a couple of times. It doesn't matter how much I caveat things and how much I preface things. I just There's a certain portion of the viewing audience, this normally happens on YouTube, that don't want to hear it. So if I tell you, for example, when I say I think Texas a and is the number two program over there, I mean what I think they're going to be doing from this point moving forward. If I were to say the next three or four years try and invest in one program, I would think behind Alabama, A&M would be the next I would want to invest in. Recruiting is there. you got a proven commodity at coach. I don't have the unrest off the field right now, whether you like it or not, that we have at LSU. I have to factor all that in. We're kind of guessing. We're guessing which program is going to be second best. If I state it like that, to me that sounds pretty clear. But inevitably, someone comes in my inbox and says, well, how could you pick a program that hasn't won a national championship over one that won one in 03 and then 07 and then 19? It's like, well, the way I can do that is because none of those years have anything to do with the time period I'm talking about. But again, context gets thrown out the window. So I'll just put it like this. Take it however you want to. Yes, I think Alabama's the number one program by a wide margin in the SEC West right now. And I think it's Texas A&M at number two right now for me, LSU at number three. I think the biggest argument is at number four. Because Auburn fans are going to absolutely tell you they belong at four. I'm not going to push back hard on that. I'm just going to tell you there is certainly an argument to be made for Ole Miss when you get down there. I just don't think there's a big gap there. There's a gap between one and two. Now, for the record, I don't think there's a wide gap or anything like that between where A&M is and LSU is. And look, ultimately, why I don't do a whole lot of these segments is because where a program is does not determine who wins on the field. I go back to the SEC East. I think if we polled our listening audience, and I would agree with the results here, most of you would say this year, last year, year before last, and next year, you believe Georgia to be the top program in the SEC East. Well, who won the game in Jacksonville last year? Did it matter at any point on that scoreboard? Did they subtract points from the Gators and add them to the Bulldogs because they got the better program? No. So this doesn't matter nearly as much as uh, some in our audience want to make it matter. Now, I say it in love, as always. If you want to talk about it, I'll talk about it. But I would just, I answer back all the time. Here's my answer and why do we care so much? Oh, measurements of teams on a Saturday afternoon, that's what matters. That's what I want to spend a majority of our time talking about, how your team looks this year. And yes, then you can tie it into program. But I talk about status of program a lot more when it comes time to recruit and talk about recruiting than it does this time of year when it's just time to talk about who's going to win on the field. Before I move to the next question, I don't think I've talked about this enough, and a lot of you are new. You were not here last year, and you weren't watching when we were independent. I know right now you may be thinking, well, why don't you do season previews? Oh, they're coming. They are coming. So the, what we do around here for Lake Kick is there are several different features we do for all of the major and Tier 2, Tier 3 teams, and we wrap it all into what we call a grand season preview. I'm talking about everything and everything and everything that you could ever want to know about teams. It will be all-encompassing. And so if you're a Michigan fan or you're a USC fan or you're a Utah fan or an Alabama or Florida fan, you will get it all. But what we want to do with this resource is we want to make it sort of a one-stop shop where if you, know, you have been tuned out the entire summer for some reason, I don't know why you choose to live your life like that, but if you've been tuned out the entire summer, these are videos you can come to and you can listen to it. They're probably 10 to 15 minutes long a piece and you know what you need to know about those teams. That's coming. 
It will probably be coming later in July and then all of August we'll be doing that as a, as well as a lot of whispers and intel from our folks on the ground in camps. I just tell you that because it that's why it excites me to see what our numbers have done because what our numbers have done has been during a time where we don't have nearly as much meat on the bone as we're about to have. Some of these shows in the fall, when we get to the season, our Sunday night shows are four hours worth of content packed into an hour. I go back and listen to them sometimes and we chart uh, the shows. I have a rubric, then I chart the shows and I basically tally what's in each show. And when I look at what's on the piece of paper after I get done listening to it and grading the shows, other than you sucked, do better next show. Other than that, I look and I say, this really looks like what could be stretched into three and a half or four hours worth of show in one hour or one hour and 15 minutes. That's that's how we do it wall to wall during the fall. So those of you who are new, just go ahead and buckle up. Should be anyway if you're driving around. Let's pick some random cities. Uh, Enid, Oklahoma, if you're driving there. Dayton, Ohio. Or let's go with Fairfax, Virginia and uh, Tucson, Arizona. So there are four. And since it's so hot up there, those of you in the Pacific Northwest, uh, let's pick Olympia, Washington. Those of you up there, I really feel for you. It is the tough reality of what happens when you're under one of those steep ridges. We over here in the eastern portion of the U.S. are enjoying some of the greatest summer weather that we'll ever have. So I have felt that kind of heat before. I know you guys aren't conditioned to it or used to it or built for it. So it's no different than when we go below zero down here and everyone freaks out and starts building igloos. I get it. Keeping you guys in the thoughts and prayers. It is amazing to look at from an atmospheric science standpoint, but it's just plain bad if you have to walk out and be in it. How did I end up talking about weather? In the Oh, I was talking about cities. Okay, and that ties back to what the show is going to be like in the fall. You just need to bear with me. None of you need to be privy to this. This is how I reverse mind map to try and retrace train of thought so I don't just go off on a tangent with no meaningful or purposeful ending whatsoever. I appreciate all the questions. I am also encouraging you, so I'm putting this at the end so it's kind of hidden. Management normally doesn't make it this far in the podcast, and I'm doing it for them anyway, so whatever. Uh, you notice that we have one little ad break during our podcasts, and it's pretty short, and you know half of you probably skipped through it, even though um, I'm supposed to tell you not to do that. But you'll notice when you watch Late Kick Live, there is no big advertising partner on there, is there? There is no brand. It's not brought to you by. It's not Late Kick powered by. And in the past, we have not done that. Now, it does not behoove me a whole lot because I am not a salesperson. I am just on-air talent, and so this is not my job. I'm not integrated marketing or anything like that. However, there are some things happening around here, and there are some opportunities, and I've had some of you reach out in the past from some fairly high-profile brand names, and I've had to tell you, sorry, I can't do anything. I'm just saying this because I cannot even remember who all's reached out in the past. If you are or you know someone who is in position in a marketing department and an ad sales department to place your product on Late Kick, reach out to me, joshpate706 at gmail.com. It's very exploratory. I know a lot of you guys are setting up those budgets for the fall and you want to get your product in front of an audience like ours. So I'm not putting 47 sponsors on the show. What I'm saying is we may be looking for one or two big partners. It's probably a national or regional type brand. Uh, you know, all the information you need will be provided to you. But if you're interested in that, reach out. Now, it needs to be the right kind of partnership. But if it's a good fit and we can make something work, it could happen. JP, Angels in the Outfield reference, about once a month. Flap your wings. It could happen. Until then, to be honest with you, I don't know who's producing the show today. 
So we're going to mention Lance and Jordan. One of them is going to bring this from my mouth to your ears. Creepy though it may sound. So thank you so much for listening. You can submit questions for the Thursday pod. In the meantime, enjoy this one. Keep those numbers steadily rising, friends. Go tell grandma about the podcast. I'm sure she'd love it. And contribute to our growing female demographic. Until then, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great rest of your day and God bless. CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions and you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.